This episode of Nothing Off Limits is brought to you by Audible.com. As an NOL listener, aren't you lucky? You can get a 30-day free trial by going to audibletrial.com slash NOL, and you get one credit for one free audiobook download, which is pretty darn cool. So you're going to get that along with your free 30-day trial by using that URL, audibletrial.com slash NOL. And my suggestion is The Secret of Healing by Deepak Chopra. I've been listening to it for years. It's Meditations for Transformation and Higher Consciousness. I highly recommend that you use your free credit through your audibletrial.com slash NOL offer. And now onto the show with Natalie Olson, Cancer Coach. Here we go. Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should. Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. In honor of National Breast Cancer Awareness Month starting in just a couple of weeks from now in October, I wanted to bring on a special guest to share with us important information about this topic. Her name is Natalie Olson. She is a cancer coach, a certified life coach by the American University of NLP, and a motivational speaker. She speaks on topics including stress and anxiety and how it can manifest into cancer. Natalie develops effective protocols for individuals dealing with issues from health to work to finances and life purpose, and she also creates programs for companies focused on improving productivity of individual employees as well as corporate teams. She works with clients in person, by phone, or via Skype, and she resides in northern Florida. She's got an amazing story to tell us today, and uh, in the meantime, while we're chatting, please go to her website and check out all of the great information she's got on there, natalieolson.com. That's Olson with an O, O L S O N. Welcome, Natalie. Hey, Jill. That was a mouthful. <laughs> well, you do a lot. You know, I have a long list to go through. <laughs> I do. You're right. And that doesn't even include any of my virtual assistant work. <laughs> right. Well, I want to dive right in. Um, like I said, this is in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I would like to start by having you share your personal journey with us all the way to becoming now a cancer coach. Absolutely. Well, first, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. And I want to give you a big shout out and your podcast for the amazing things that you're doing with it. And I absolutely cannot wait to see where you're at with it in a year. Thank you. Absolutely. Awesome. My cancer journey started back in the winter of 2006 when I found a lump in my breast. It had been getting sore each month with my monthly cycles. And I felt this pea-sized lump grow a little bit each month with my cycle. Um, I had my annual physical coming up, and my primary care physician confirmed the lump, and then she sent me for a mammogram and an ultrasound, which also confirmed that I had two lumps. I had not found the second one. Three months later, I had a double mastectomy, followed by six months of chemotherapy and 36 rounds of radiation. Oh, my God. Three months later. Three months later. So it actually took that long because I found the lumps in November, December, everything got confirmed, and then three blizzards hit in a row in Denver, Colorado. And so the hospitals and roads were shut down. You know, normally the hospitals don't shut down, but even they shut down. It was wow. so Yeah. So it was January before the biopsy could get done. January eighth of two thousand seven 
the breast cancer was confirmed. And then March, so right after that, March mm-hmm. was my surgery and then started everything else. What was going through your mind when you were diagnosed? Um, you know, I was scared. I was um, anxious. But the way I was raised, it was, okay, this is what it is you know, let's just get it out of me and move on. Plus, I thank God I'd had that three months to research where a lot of people, you know, they're told, okay, one month or three weeks or what have you, they're in surgery having their mastectomy or or whatever the decision mm-hmm. is made for them. Um, so I'd had time research. So I was very prepared going into the surgery and treatments. What do you think was the cause of this? And, and I think this ties into the overall theme of, you know, how stress plays a role in cancer. And I want you to talk about that. Absolutely. I know for a fact that, that my cancer was caused by stress that I was under from my job at the time. Um, That's a huge statement to make. It is. Because because that's so impactful because so many people stress out about their jobs. Right. We do. And here's the really sad part. Both of my cancers, 2007, January of 2007, I was diagnosed with my first cancer of stage two um, breast cancer. And then in April of 2011, I was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, metastatic breast cancer. During that whole time, but for both cancer diagnoses, I was working for the same asshole and company. And um, my body obviously internalized the stress that I was under, even though I thought I was doing a pretty good job at releasing it. And I know that because after um, I, I left the job in... 2011, just before my second cancer diagnosis, and it took my body seven months for the stress to leave it. Wow. So I know that stress had a major role in both of my cancers. I've always heard this thing that, you know, cancer is like suppressed emotions, and and that's how it expresses itself is through cancer. But is there also a genetic predisposition to it as well? Absolutely. You know, in the news, you hear about the BRCA gene, the BRCA1 or 2 gene, and that's the breast cancer gene. And to put it into relation, that's the situation that Angelina Jolie found and she was diagnosed with the BRCA gene, and so she chose to have a prophylactic mastectomy. That means a mastectomy without a sign of the disease. Mm-hmm. So she had sh- chose to put herself under the knife, have this mastectomy, get rid of her breasts, and because she had the BRCA gene, and all that meant was that she had an eighty-five percent chance of getting of being diagnosed with breast cancer but she didn't have it yet no she didn't so have just it. because you have the gene yes there's a higher risk but that's that doesn't mean that you will actually get it right exactly let me put this into perspective my family has what's called lynch syndrome l-y-n-c-h okay. and it gives an 85 percent increased risk of cancers of the colon and stomach small intestine liver gallbladder ducts so we're talking lower body cancers versus the BRCA gene, which is the breasts and the upper body. Mm-hmm. 
okay, so my family and my brother died of colon cancer. My mom, three weeks ago, was just diagnosed with colon cancer and just got home uh, last week from having that surgery, from colon cancer surgery. So, so two immediate family members have colon cancer now. So does that mean that I'm supposed to go get my colon out because I have an 85% increased risk of getting it? Right. Of being diagnosed with it? No. I'm not going to go mutilate my body any more than it already has been. I feel for these people who get diagnosed with these syndromes. All that means is you have to watch your body closer. Well, look at your family, right? Your family is all about, you said, the gene that's the Lynch gene, which is below. Mm-hmm. And But you ended up getting the cancer above. with the. Right. So it's, it's like you can't even predict. Right. Anyway. So- I don't, I was not tested for the BRCA gene because I already had breast cancer and I didn't have any kids at the time. So the purpose of testing for the BRCA gene is to see if you're going to pass it on to a family member Mm -hmm. or if you're going to get it because it's in your family. My mom tested negative for the BRCA gene, but got breast cancer. She got that a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. What do you think? And I don't want to take it off of your story too much, but what do you think caused your mom's breast cancer? I'm going to say environmental and I don't know about hereditary. My mom's adopted. So we don't have that side of the family history. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it all starts with my mom for me. It doesn't go beyond that on my maternal side. That's tough because it's easier, I think, for people who know what's come down through the generations so they can kind of prepare for that. Right. And we don't have that. So we've only got 50% of our family history. And then I've got my mom with two cancers, or three now, actually. She had endometrial cancer many years ago. Um, my brother died of colon cancer. I've had breast cancer twice. My sister has had um, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer in her uterus, sorry. I can't keep up anymore, you know, it just keeps it's coming unreal. out of the woodwork. It's it unreal. And, and this is why it's such a, an important topic for everybody to know about, because it's just everywhere. And so many people struggle with this, and nobody really understands it because there is no cure. Right. You know, and it's frustrating as hell. So I want to dive more into your story because, you know, we've just kind of glossed over the fact that you're now going through a second round of this. Right. And so I want to know about the time in between. So you went through chemo the first time. Yep, six months of hell, Um, literally. You know, you get up, you go to chemotherapy um, one day a week or once every two weeks, and they pump this god-awful chemotherapy drug into you to kill, you know, all the bad cancer cells, but it also kills the good cells. Mm. And killing the good cells is what makes you tired. It's what makes you sick to your stomach. It's what makes, it's what gives you that metallic taste in your mouth and changes the taste of water and your food. Um, in fact, they tell you don't eat drink uh, or don't even eat your favorite foods while you're going through chemo because it's going to change the flow of everything. Well, okay, so what are you supposed to eat if you're not going to eat your favorite foods? Right, you know? right. And, and how long? It's six food. months? Yeah, six months. Wow, that's a long time to be having chemicals pumped into your body. Yep, every two to three weeks. And the hair falls out. That's what most people know about this. Hair, everything. Eyelashes, eyebrows, body hair, head hair. You know, I didn't have to shave for for nine months, thank God. That was the one plus side of it. Yeah, I was just going to say. I'm like Eastern European. That'd be great. (laughs) Um, I mean, obviously, I'm joking. I know. You know. (laughs) Hey, I lived in Germany, so I understand what you're saying. (laughs) They don't shave their armpits. So, yeah, trust me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, this is... 
really, really nasty process to go through. It is. I mean, the last um, chemo drug that I got was called the Red Devil. And it's called that for a reason because um, it's a red liquid and it's in this last bottle that has skulls, the skull and crossbone, you know. Right, yeah, it's a poison. It's a poison. And (laughs) to top it all off, the nurses, the oncology nurses are coming at you to put this in you, to hook it up to your IV system and put it in you, wearing full gowns. I mean, head to toe gowns, the full face masks, double gloves taped. God. Yeah, because and you're they like, can't, uh... they can't get it on them, and they're getting ready to inject this into me. <laughs> Holy crap! It was it was my longest chemo session of seven hours. <gasps> yeah, and so I don't know if I should even ask the question. I mean, Go ahead. why would it take so long? First of all, second of all, I mean, were you just like barfing the whole time? Like, what happened? I actually never got sick during chemo, during the whole six months. Um, I don't know if it was my supplements, if it was my acupuncture that I was still doing, uh, which is considered an alternative therapy at the time. Um, but I, I never got sick. I got nauseous a couple times, but they give you nausea drugs to take in case you start feeling like that. Mm. And I was just blessed. I never, I never got sick. Seven hours, though, of having the red devil. Why? It just takes that long. It's there. I mean, there's other things they have to do. They, they had to give me Benadryl first in case I had an allergic reaction, and that was um, it was 150 milligrams of Benadryl. If you want to know how to be loopy, take 150 oh milligrams of Benadryl. <laughs> they used to tell me when after my dog had uh, a surgery on his knee, they told me to give him Benadryl just to like get him to f- go to bed instead mm-hmm. of trying to jump around on his on his leg. Right. Benadryl's will put me to sleep. Yeah. But imagine, and I don't know what the normal is, if it's five or 10 milligrams. I don't know. It's really low. Yeah. So this is 150 milligrams in one sitting. So you must have just passed out. But I didn't. I'm one that doesn't like to lose control of my body. So I was fighting that. And then I became chatty Kathy. And one of the oncology oh nurses God. came to me. She says, you had this last night and this morning, didn't you? And I said, yeah, why? Because we know the medicine that causes that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's. So you went through this whole process. It sounds like it was very, very difficult. And so then you cleared the cancer? Yeah. They, you know, when they cut the cancer out and they take the tissue and everything if if they're doing a mastectomy. A lumpectomy, it's just the lump and then so much of the surrounding tissue uh, and then they leave as much of the breast tissue and breast as they can. With um, a mastectomy, it's the whole breast and they just leave the skin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to kind of get used to that happening first. So you've got the chemo going in, you've got your body has been you know, mutilated, cut into, damaged this way, and you're looking forward to reconstruction. You've got all this going on, and you're like, what am I going to do now? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, you've been kind of torn apart in so many ways. You have, and so they said that they got clear margins. You know, it's like any cancer or any surgery. They have to get margins around what they cut out. They said they got that, and... So I was up to, I went from 
seeing my oncologist once a week to once every six months. And you have to work up to that, you know, two weeks, four weeks, every month. For testing. They test right. your... Okay. testing, um, doing my blood work and everything. Mm-hmm. So I was up to every six months, so twice a year. I felt good. I was living a normal life. You had reconstructive surgery, all of that? They had started it. I contracted a, sta- a MRSA staph infection from the mastectomy surgery. So they had to remove... God! Yeah. It, it's very common. It's more common than you hear about. This bothers me. This is a whole side topic, Natalie. Yep. But yep. like my dad also contracted a staph infection from a knee replacement surgery. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what led to his death. Wow. And so it's kind of like, how could they not have proper protocol to prevent this? You know, between all the hands that are going on in there, all of the instruments that are going on in there, all the medications and IVs and who knows what what caused it, but all the foreign materials, you know, the foreign objects, you're bound to bring in um, germs. And, you know, we all have cancer cells in our body, but if your immune system is up to par, you're going to fight off the cancer cells. Mm. Mine obviously weren't, and so my immune system was low somehow, and I, my cancer cells came out. Um, they, they won, and they came out. So, you know, it's a different battle for everybody. Okay, but you, were, you went into full remission, and you said your life became normal. Right. I, for three and a half years, I lived a normal life. January of 2011, I got an all clear on my latest six-month checkup. Wow. And blood work, yep. And then February, I slipped on ice walking across the street to check on an elderly neighbor of mine. Her garage door had been left open all day, and her car was not there. I slipped on the ice going from the street onto her sidewalk, fell and hit her brick garage wall, and... It was the worst pain I'd ever had in my life, in my shoulder. Mm. It was enough. It resonated through my body and knocked me to my knees. Oh, my gosh. I'm laying there on the ground, crying, don't know what the hell has happened. Out, you know, it, it took my breath away, everything. Finally got up. She wasn't home. Went back home. Went to the emergency room. They gave me a shot of hydrocortisone. Put a sling on my arm. Sent me home. Wasn't any better, went to the hospital, saw whichever doctors, finally ended up with um, the orthopedic surgeon a few months later who was getting ready to perform torn rotator cuff surgery because that's what they thought was going on Okay, in my shoulder. So she decided to order a CAT scan before the surgery, didn't like what she saw on the scan, and she ordered a bone biopsy of my shoulder. When she got those results back, it came back as the very same as my breast cancer, same DNA spread to my bones. My God, you just got through a cleared, like a clear bill of health. Yep. How did they not see that? That will tell you how unreliable the blood tests are. They don't tell you the whole picture and they weren't doing the right blood test. They do a CBC, which is, you know, your normal blood panel because they figured it would show up in the liver or what have you first and it didn't. Wow. Or or in lowered white or red blood cells. It didn't. It had already spread through my body. Sneaky. Mm -hmm. It is. It's very sneaky. This is why they have those hats and t-shirts that say fuck cancer. Exactly, because fuck cancer. <laughs> Seriously. 
How is it hiding out? Well, um, when they do the mastectomy surgery, they shoot dye into your main lymph node and see where it travels to. And they test that lymph node during the surgery to see if it has any cancer cells in it. My one did. So during the surgery, they also took 18 more lymph nodes out of my chest and arm and those had no cancer cells. So they assumed from the 18 being free that it hadn't gone anywhere Mm -hmm. and that the chemo and radiation that they ordered after the surgery would catch anything. Okay. And I mean, that does make sense. It does. Yeah. That's, that's what they're taught um, in school nowadays. And, but it didn't, obviously that one lymph node was enough for it to have spread. Wow. And it did. It spread to my bones, to nine spots in my bones, in my body. Wow. What a journey. I'd like to take a quick break. Have you signed up for your free 30-day Audible trial and your one free download yet? If not, please go to audibletrial.com NOL. And a recommendation from Natalie, personally, is the audiobook Cancer Free by Bill Henderson. Uh, get your free audiobook download now. Back to the show for more of Natalie Olson's Cancer Journey. When you found all of this out, mm-hmm. what did you? What advice was given to you? Were you supposed to get this rotator cuff surgery? Or were you supposed to go back into the chemo room? What, what What was next? Oh no, 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 no! She was preparing to schedule me to do the torn rotator cuff surgery, but obviously, with the findings from the bone biopsy, it wasn't torn rotator cuff. It was cancer. Mm-hmm. That's what was causing my shoulder pain, because. Wow. I got the all clear in January. I slipped in February. It's now April. And so I'm in Walmart after work one night and I get the, you know, shopping and I get the phone call from my orthopedic surgeon that it's my breast cancer spread. God. Left my cart, walked out, went home and cried myself to sleep that night. Of course. Yeah. And, you know, then the cancer journey starts all over again. You start meeting with your oncologist and finding out what your options are and dealing with this recurrent pain that's not going away (laughs) in my shoulder because it now had been damaged and that opened the door for the rest of my body pain, my bone pain to start showing up. Right. There's like one thing. It's like a domino effect. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So for the next two years, I lived in pain 24-7 with the bone pain that it created. Uh, What do you do about that? How do you you manage the pain? Percocet. Oh, God. Vicodin. Whatever whatever they give you. So that's asking for a painkiller addiction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so my um, drug of choice that they gave me was Percocet. Here, take this whenever you feel pain. Wow. Well, I I had nine spots in my body from the back of my skull to my right thigh. So everywhere in between, I had nine and and both hips, three on my spine. God. I had had nine spots and my shoulder, obviously. Were you able to get around? I was. I actually had to take um, a half of a Percocet to get out of, to move my legs and stand up in the morning. My body hurt so bad. So I would take a Percocet, I would get up, I would get dressed, and I was actually going to work. I went to work this whole through that whole time because this is now three and a half years later after my chemo treatments and everything else. So my life had been supposedly back to normal. Right. Uh, not. 
So obviously you're suffering from enormous amounts of pain. At what point did you, I mean, did you quit that job? Sadly, um, I had been downsized from that job in January, right after the falling incident. So I no longer worked for that company. I didn't have a job when I, uh, when this was all re-diagnosed. And I didn't have insurance. Oh, shit. Oh, shit is right. I thankfully um, was sent to the Comprehensive Cancer Center in Denver, Colorado, and put on a grant that funded for the next two years. Um, Wow. Yeah. That's a blessing. And it was a huge blessing because otherwise I would have been, let me tell you, I I paid $18,000 out of pocket my first year of my first cancer. Ugh. Just for, and that was with insurance. I had I had um, Kaiser insurance at the time, so I had good insurance. Yeah, but all of the out of pocket costs was eighteen thousand dollars between all the needles, all of the the medicines I had to give myself. I got a blood clot, so I had to give myself daily shots for that, and that was from the surgery. God. Yeah. So I mean, so now you're on round two. This, round two. This boggles my mind. And so, so what choices? What are the options that the oncologist gives you? Is he like or she like you got to go through chemo again? We got to get this. Mm-hmm. Yep. They wanted me to go through chemo again, and I said, Hell no! I'd had three and a half years to continue reading and researching, and I told myself, if my cancer ever comes back, I am not doing chemo again. Hell no! Not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Got it again not doing it. And one of the deciding factors in that was 25 years before that, before my diagnosis, one of my aunts had been diagnosed with breast cancer. 25 years. That's, that's not a family hereditary issue. You know, it was Mm. 25 years ago. Nobody thinks about it. What she went through and what her offer was surgery, chemo, radiation. It was the same options they were offering me 25 years nothing's, later. Nothing's, nothing's changed. evolved. Yeah. Nothing changed. And I said, screw it. I'm not going through that. I've learned more about my body and about nutrition. And I've read that our bodies can heal themselves given the right nutrition and the right supplements. And that's what I decided to do. I was not going to do it their way this time. I did it their way. It came back. Now it's my mm-hmm. way. So tell us what you've decided to be doing, because obviously it's working. Well, it took me two years to find the protocol that I'm following now. So that was 2013 um, when I found the protocol. And it was through the book called Cancer Free by Bill Henderson. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, you know, it's diet and supplements. And there's also the option of other places that you can go that treat cancers alternatively, um, some in the States, some in Co., some in Germany, and the book outlines all of those. I'd actually gone to one of the centers in Mexico um, during the two years that I was researching and living in my bone pain, and their protocol does work, but it's expensive. And it's cash only Ooh. because insurance doesn't pay for it. Ooh. And they wanted me there every three to four months. Yeah. All the time. Well, we're talking three to $5,000 a pop. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Between travel and So hotel. don't get cancer unless you're wealthy. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's sad, but yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Wow. So you can't be going to this center all the time and dropping this kind of dose. So you had to take it upon yourself to get other types of supplements or supplements that are in line with the program. Right. Um, and, and so tell us more about those. Like, what are these natural approaches? The supplements that I started um, doing following this protocol were barley pills, and the purpose of them is to alkalize your blood because not just cancer cells, but chronic illnesses and diseases can't survive in an alkaline environment. Mm -hmm. And most of our bodies are are slightly acidic. Yes. There's somebody who is pushing me on this alkaline water for a long time. That's another... Another um, in podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. There's so many of the alkaline water systems. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's along the same lines. Anything that will alkalize your body will help. And I have to tell you that the first night I got my supplements and started taking them, my two years' worth of bone pain went away. No kidding. No kidding. First night, first dosage. I woke up the next day and I was not in pain. Oh my gosh. And that was in 2013. This is 2016. So for the last three years, I've been relatively out of pain. Wow. Yeah. And you're doing this all naturally with supplements. Natural. What other what other types of um, approaches are you using? Like massage or like what else can you do? Acupuncture. Okay. The needles, you know, don't hurt the cancer, don't affect it, nothing like that. And we all know that that getting our chi balanced is always a good thing. Yes. So um, I do lots of acupuncture. But I have to tell you, just last week, I found my latest acupuncturist. I'm already in love. Oh, that's great. He, he already has started working his magic on me. But to backtrack a little bit, so in three years, I've been relatively out of pain. When I do start getting pain again, it means there's a problem and I need to pay attention to where I'm hurting. And it usually means my cancer is upping the activity in that area. Mm. So it means to there's something in my diet I need to change or fix. There's I need to add some more supplements or take some away or do something. Right. Or get a scan to find well, out. Yeah, I mean, because with anything, if you do it for a long time, like your body just kind of like adjusts and there's no upside to it anymore. Yep. And speaking of that, um, you actually turned me on to one of your past podcast interviewees, Catherine Kerrigan. Mm-hmm. And I got a medical intuitive healing session from her. Catherine actually told me that my barley pills were no longer serving me. Wow. So I've since stopped them and taken them out of my regimen of supplements. And and did it make a difference? It's not that it's making a difference. It's that I need to find something else mm-hmm. to replace them. They they've done their job. Right. They're not they're not working anymore. Something else needs to be alkaline. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the barley pills. Can I just are- say I love the fact that you contacted Catherine. Absolutely. That is so awesome. Absolutely. I'm so open to alternative therapies. I'll, I'll try anything once if it, I'll research it first, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if I feel that it's going to do me some good, I will do it. And she turned me on to um, 
Qigong therapy for bone marrow cleansing, which obviously, since the cancer is in my bones, is going to help me. Mm-hmm. She, you know, told me the barley pills had run their course. I needed to stop those. I also take um, beta-glucan, which is an immune booster. And those I will never stop taking because every time I do, my tumor marker count goes up. Mm. Wow. You have to know, you have to have a ton of knowledge to know it's, what's going to work for you. And you also have to be very in tune with your own body. I've become very in tune. It's nine years worth of dealing with cancer. My goodness. Yeah. So I want to transition into your coaching. Okay. At what point were you like, I know so much stuff about this. I've got to help other people. When did you make that decision? Um, well, in 2011, after my stage four diagnosis, I was out of a job. I was up at two in the morning looking at Craigslist, trying to find a job, you know, something I could do from home Mm -hmm. and work around my cancer and my treatments. And somehow the world of virtual assistants was opened up to me after almost five years of doing virtual assistants for small business owners. And I was strategizing with them about their business, how to help them grow their business. It was kind of a coaching situation naturally. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of always wanted to be a life coach. So I decided, okay, now's a good time to get your life coaching certification. So I did. And I've had that for a year. Now I'm working on, my, on getting my master life coaching certification. But in the meantime... I decided that in addition to life and business coaching, I need to turn this around and start helping the cancer community and helping others who are at the beginning stages where I was nine years ago because it is such a roller coaster of emotions and doctor's appointments and treatments. You know, what do you do? Cancer is such an individualized Mm. um, illness And it's different for every person. So how do you coach them then? How does it work? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a consultation call with them just like any any other um, coaching business. I try to find out if they have any kind of a support system to help them because one of the things that will help cancer patients get through their cancer diagnosis and treatments is a support system. Mm -hmm. If they're by themselves, it's going to be much harder. So I work with them with their support system or help them get one formed. And then I help them lay out a plan to get through their treatment options based on what their doctor has said they should do. I do research on their cancer to give them options that they have. And then basically I'm just a sounding board for them when they've got no one else to listen to um, who's been in their shoes because... I have to tell you, I am reading so many stories in the Facebook groups I belong to about spouses who don't want to touch them, don't want to look at them, don't want to... Or who leave them. Who leave them. More and more leave them because they can't handle the cancer diagnosis. So it's My goodness. Yeah. So it's it's listening. So the coaching goes beyond you know, that individual and their own emotions, but also it extends to their, the people close to them and their friends and family and dealing with those relationships and helping guide them through that. Right. And I can be a caregiver coach as well and, and help coach the caregivers in giving that cancer patient the right help that they need. 
How do you do that? You're still in your own daily journey of, of working through this. Because I've been my own cancer advocate, I haven't had anybody. I have a support system, but it's more of an emotional support system. It's not physical. Um, I don't have a significant other. I don't have anybody immediately around me to be that support system. So I've had to be my own. And You're a warrior. I am a cancer warrior. And I think I was raised that way for this battle, thankfully my military background, mm. the way, you know, a single parent, I was raised um, to don't be cry. a warrior. Don't. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. you don't have time. Right. You don't have time to, to waste, you know, to make new friends or to find find the right treatment or what have you. You've got to figure it out now and move on. And so I've been blessed that way in being able to say, okay, here's what we need to do. Let's do yes, it. Yes, you and have. Then, and then we can, we can party later we can mm-hmm. have the campaign in the middle of it while we're doing it but let's let's move on let's get mm-hmm. let's get this going because you don't have time i love it <laughs> what Thank kind you. of advice do you give to those caregivers or even just to you know extended family or friends how are they supposed to act when they find out a diagnosis should they be overly concerned should they be offering help all the time like what is what is the proper way to act You know, they want to be concerned. They want to do everything they can to help. The biggest thing they want to do is listen. They want to, they want to make meals um, because the last thing that the cancer patient or cancer warrior is going to want to do is cook. Um, Drive them to their appointments. Biggest, biggest support anybody Hmm. can give. Drive them to their appointments. They don't want to drive. They don't, you know, they don't want to cook for themselves. Get them out of the house. Take them to the park for a walk. If they don't feel like walking because they don't have any energy, they can sit on a bench and just be out. In Should the you fresh not bring air. it up? Should you just not bring up the topic and be like, "How was your appointment?" or anything? Like, should you just kind oh, of no. like? You want to bring it up. Let the person lead you. If they don't talk about it, they're going to tell you. Okay. They're going to say whether it's something they want to discuss or not discuss. They let let them guide that but don't be afraid to ask my brother who died of colon cancer he was like that he didn't want to talk about it Mm -hmm. he didn't want people to know about it and my dad who was his caregiver didn't talk about it and I think it shortchanged the relationships that my brother could have had in the last six months to a year of his life because he wasn't open about his story or his situation Mine, I tell anybody if they want to listen. It makes me so sad. I'm just thinking about these spouses who leave. Yeah. That just very, breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. I just, I want to strangle and throttle them, but I have been there. I had friends that literally walked away from me and our friendships because they couldn't handle the C word. They really? Couldn't handle, yep. They couldn't handle cancer. What was there not to be able to handle? Um, they'd had too many relatives die of cancer. Okay. Couldn't deal with it in a friend. Okay. It was the biggest one. Um, others just didn't tell me. So obviously though, that's their issue. Right. It was all their issues. But then they're walking away from being a a support system for you. Maybe it's just kind of like some people get to that point where they're like, I can't go through this again. Right. And there's a natural matriculation effect when people are diagnosed with a disease or an illness like that. You will lose friends, but you find out who your true friends are. Mm -hmm. 
if there is one huge message, because we didn't really talk too much in detail about the effects of stress on cancer, um, if you want to say something with regard to that, or if just a general message that you want to leave with everybody um, with regard to cancer that you think everybody should walk away knowing. Absolutely. Listen to your body, listen to your doctors, but realize that ultimately we are our own best advocates. If something doesn't feel right, question it. Question the doctors. Research it. I go in and I interview my doctors. If I don't like how they're treating me or if their head's down in the paperwork all the time, I, I'm moving on. I want somebody that's going to be warm and caring and relate to me. Mm-hmm. That bedside manner is huge. Exactly, especially with a, a, an illness like cancer. You know, you want to know they're listening. You want to know they care about you, the person, and what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the stress part of it goes, you know, obviously managing stress is huge. And when you get a chronic illness or a cancer diagnosis, it's even more important. Um, But there's things that we can do for ourselves. Getting things off of your to-do list, delegating or outsourcing work or home tasks, you know, getting, there's, there's businesses that will come in and clean your home if you're in active treatment. So, and people don't realize that. Mm. Um, there's phone apps that you can download that will help with stress relief. A huge one that I use is the Calm app, C-A-L-M dot com. And there's a free version and a paid version. And um, you want to get regular sleep. You want to do some light exercise, whatever your body can handle at the time, because moving is going to help move the toxins out of your system. So as much as you want to stay in bed or stay on the couch, do some exercise. But know your limits, your work, your family, your personal limits. As much as we want to be super women and super men, we Mm -hmm. can't do it all, especially when you're sick. And if your listeners want to go to a page on my website, I've set up for access of a list of other stress resources, quizzes, questionnaires, apps. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um, It's Natalie Olson, N-A-T-A-L-I-E-O-L-S-O-N dot com forward slash stress dash resources. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. But most importantly, they need to ask for help. I didn't like asking for help. I'm a very independent woman. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it wasn't that I didn't know how to ask. I was afraid to, or I was afraid people would think I was weak, not strong. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that I was weak, that I was not strong. And you got to get over that really quickly. And you're still with us and you sound fantastic. Thank you. Just as much of a warrior as ever before. Absolutely. I love it. You know, we have to become our own advocates, and it's not just for health, but everything. So get informed, everybody. (laughs) Natalie, yes. Natalie set up that resources page for you on her website. Please go there. Um, If you, a family member, a friend, a friend of a friend, you just want to know more, I encourage you to go and check it out. And Natalie, thank you so much for being so open about your story, for sharing your awesome gifts. You've been blessed to be able to share some great resources with everyone and um, you continue to help people every day. So thank you for that. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for being open to this topic and getting it out there to your listeners. Heck yeah. Everybody, go do your self-exams, okay? Go get it done. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I found mine. Exactly. Thanks again, Natalie. Thank you, Michelle. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? 
email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.